Amen. Good morning, church. Love lifted me. It's funny, we all have different stories, but it's all the same in terms of we were sinking fast, and God in his faithfulness lifted us in his love. Amen? This, this Tuesday celebrates 23 years um, of the founding of Light of the World Church. I think uh, we need to give a hand clap offering to the Lord in his faithfulness. What a big deal. How faithful he has been. Good to see everyone this morning. Let's pray for God's word. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word, your words of life, Lord, that you have put in this book, Lord. Your, your word is alive, Lord. It does a work when we hear your truths. With all the messaging that we hear every single day from all over the place, nothing touches us like your word that cuts right to the heart, Lord, that exposes us bare before you, Lord, that shows us who you are, Lord, that provides hope, Lord, that gives us a pathway to walk, Lord, that keeps us within certain parameters. All of those things and more are because of your living word. And we thank you for that. So we ask that you would give us our daily bread this day, Lord, that you would use me, your servant, Lord, to speak your words of truth, that you would be glorified and we would walk out of here different than we walked in. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today we're going to start a, a three-part series, uh, and the name of the series is Power Money and Sex. Today, the title of the sermon is Wielding Power. And, and first, we have to ask the question, what is power? Power is possession or control, authority or influence over others. And, and why is it that we seek power? What do people use power for? Some, some seek power to have control over others and some to have more of an influence over their own lives because in, in a real way, power offers freedom. Power is a force that needs an, an object. To have power, a person has to have it over something or someone. One would think that it would be such an appeal for power um, to be able to control things, to, to change them to fit into their version of reality, their vision of reality. But this can obviously be very good, and it could be very bad. Um, it depends on uh, what that vision is. But more and more, studies suggest that people who desire power, it is looking to control one thing, 
and that's themselves. One of the things that we know about power is that there are dangers associated with power. And probably the biggest danger associated with power is pride. It starts with wanting to control. Even when it's just us controlling ourselves, it can be a a prideful thing. Uh, One of the reasons why we don't have monarchs, kings, queens, is because of the saying that, that went this way, which I'm sure you heard, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men almost always are bad. You, you think of people like Hitler, you think of people like Stalin, you even think about how our local government is set up. Our government is set up with three separate branches, three different branches that distribute the power, right? We had a a legislative branch, an executive, and a judicial branch. That is to uh, give people a voice and not have all the power concentrated in one place. We put safeguards um, even in people that are in leadership positions. We put governing boards to kind of watch over what's going on in, in community for this very reason. And often when we think about power, that's the categories that we put it in. Um, kings and rulers and, and politicians or CEOs or someone that uh, runs a, a, a big thing. But It's not only that. Um, We all have a level of power that we try to um, continue to have grow. In our personal little kingdoms, we try to uh, use our power, sometimes in a manipulative way, sometimes to get our way. We use those things in our relationships. We use those things in our marriages. We use those things um, with our children and in our households in all different kind of ways. We want a level of control. And we see that right from the beginning of creation. Uh, I want to be um, like God, right? E- even uh, Lucifer, when he was in heaven, I will be, uh, but for us, um, for you, for me, for the Christian, it says that you're not your own. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. So even within ourselves, we're a believer. We've been purchased. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus, which does not give us the right to do whatever we want to do, to to have that power be, hey, I'm doing what I want. And power is not bad, right? Levels of success at times bring power and influence, and those in authority always, this is the difference, has to be submitted under authority as well. And authority 
is given by God. Power is given by God. So our text this morning is Acts chapter 12. So if you turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 12, we're going to read through the um, whole chapter, and I'll be reading out of the CSB. So if you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 12 begins this way. At that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in the front of the door guarded the prison, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. And they went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary and the, mo the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came and answered. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed, motioning to him with their hand to be silent, motioning to them with, the, with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, telling these, tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place at daylight. There was a great commotion among the soldiers at, as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered them their execution. 
Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. On a point and an, on an appointed day, dressed in royal robe and seated on his throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God spread and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. You may be seated. Wow, what an interesting story. So many things going on there. Um, we're going to speak about a couple of characters in this historical event. We're going to speak about Herod, and we're going to speak about Peter and the church and about God and, and what all of that means to you and I. One of the things that we know and we've seen with people with power is that power can be extremely intoxicating. Something garnered, something that once someone possesses it, often they are not willing to share their power. And when their reign is over and whatever that thing is, sometimes they don't even want to give up their power. And often we think about that again, like in some big circumstances, but it's even in the smaller things in life. Like your kid might be 25, not living with you, and you're still trying to tell them what to do. So, so, so I don't want us to think when we think about power of, uh, you know, only people in these certain positions. No, this is something that we all need to consider. So as we're looking at this account, we see Herod. It's like, Herod again? I mean, how long does this guy live? There's a couple of Herods. There's not, there's not one. This is Herod Agrippa, and he is actually the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the guy that um, slaughtered the infants and in Bethlehem when he was trying to kill um, the Christ child. He's the one that the wise men had, had gone to. And then um, he has a son, and his son is Herod Antipas, who killed John the Baptist and also was a part of the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. And now we have this Herod Agrippa, and he has killed some of the disciples and has imprisoned Peter and wants to kill him. Wow, what a family tree. 
as we think about that, like how those things are passed down. This Herod was actually the, the nephew of the last Herod, and, and between there, the Roman um, emperors that we would know their names when we heard it, and all of this stuff is going on, and it's a part of history, but in the big picture, these Herods were actually fighting against God. Like, wow. And, and, and we see this in a big way, but often power that is from God is used to fight against God, even in small ways. Hmm. So we hear of this story about him being eaten by worms. It's like, wow. So this account is a real account. It's also spoken of by the Jewish historian Josephus, who often um, is used as a, a historian of that age who wrote many events down. And he starts to speak about um, this event. And basically what this Herod did, he went to another region and, and they had some static there and he had a dominion over certain parts uh, of, of these places. And in this particular place, there was a famine kind of going on and this was like a port city, but the things that they um, uh, exported and imported, they still needed food from other places. So want to make all of these relationships right, he has this, this meeting and all these people are coming. And, and, and what is said from this historian is that he uh, wore this attire that was stitched in with silver. And when he came into this place at the break of day and the way the sun shined into the place, kind of like how it shines in uh, into our sanctuary, it kind of gave him a, a glow. And, and then the words that he spoke, they said, this is not words of a man. This is, this is words from a God. And this was someone who was well acquainted who the God of Israel was he is someone that his family were was there when Jesus and the disciples and all of these things are are going on but um this is what he did and as we read kind of what um took place we we realize that um we can get to a place where we think that things are about us. And, and, and that happens so often. So when in this account, it says, at once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he was eaten by worms. The Bible tells us that um, God will share his glory with no one. It says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another. 
Hmm. Then we see Peter. And Peter is the one who, who walked with Jesus. He was a witness to God on earth and what real power looked like. It says that when Herod was walking about to bring him out for trial, that, that very night, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in the front of the door guarded the prison, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side, told him, get up, told him, come on out. And as he did that, as he left, the angel disappeared. One of the things that we recognize from this is when you are in God's will, when you are on God's mission, no power in hell can do anything to you. If we look at the way Herod um, went about what he did, Peter being uh, arrested and not being able to, to free himself. Often, we as believers, uh, which God gives us power, have to recognize that, no, it's still God's will and in God's way. Recognize he was, he was directed what to do by the help that God sent. And he was freed by God's agent. God could have freed him any way he wanted to, but he used a method for Peter to recognize you didn't free yourself. It wasn't even you directly speaking to me. The church is praying for you. I'm sure he was praying for himself, but he used his instruments that he put in place to rescue Peter. And that's important to understand. It says that about that time, when we just started reading the text, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too. So the question becomes, why did James die? Why was Peter rescued and James wasn't. It is because God chooses who he's going to use, in what capacity, for how long, and James's job was done. That, that's something very important for us to, to embrace and to understand because we, he was one of the disciples and we may have looked at it like, hey, um, this guy got rescued and why didn't this guy get rescued? And, and we can look at our lives that way. This event took place, um, why didn't that happen here? And we pray even in a way where uh, we're praying for what we believe is the best outcome. In situations. And sometimes it doesn't happen that way. And then we start to question why? D does God hear me? Does God care? Are my prayers 
doing anything? Are they effective? Is, is God hearing me? But in the end, what it boils down to is God's will be done. So, it was time for James to leave. Then we can ask the question, um, if God was going to free Peter from jail, why let him go to jail at all? If, I'm sure it wasn't fun being in jail, even for the amount of time that he was there. And in the midst of it, he didn't know what was going to happen. He probably knew James is dead. I'm going to die. The same guy who killed James just arrested me. How often in our lives we're like, God, why am I going through this? What are you doing? God was doing something by allowing Peter to go to jail, the church to pray, Peter to be released through a supernatural encounter with an angel in a supernatural way, each and every one of those things, God was at work. Each and every one of those things, God was doing something. Often what God is doing has nothing to do with your comfort whatsoever. He's, he's changing you. He's allowing these events to play out in your life so you learn to trust him. So you learn whatever is happening is so much bigger than you. See, see, part of power, part of us wanting that freedom, part of us wanting that independence is because we think it's about me. Then we see here the church. It says, as soon as he realized, meaning Peter, he went to the house after he was released from prison, he went to the house of, hold on, I want to just say one more thing that just came to my mind. Another thing that happened in this story, as Peter is freed, and he's walking away with the angel. He gets to a certain point, and the angel leaves. It would have been, like, really cool in Peter's mind, like, this guy is valuable. Stick around. I, I can, like, have this power as my, at my access and use this going forth. Hey, I'm about God's work, so where you going? Stay here even in our own lives. God wants us to rely on him. Not the last instrument that he used for us to be freed from something, to, to, to be rescued, because then we start making that thing an idol. No, no, no. God is saying, okay, that's not available to you anymore. At least you can't see it, but I got you. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. So now the church we read was fervently praying for Peter. One of the things that we do as the church is you could always go online and give prayer requests. 
We're always being told about situations that people are in, and we commit those things to prayer. The number one thing you can do, the top priority in power is petitioning the one who has all the power. So, so sometimes we'll start doing stuff and like, then we'll pray. No, no, pray first. Ask God to do what you believe would be the righteous or correct thing to do, but then leave that up to God, knowing he's all wise, he's all powerful, he's everywhere, he has the plan, but we are called to petition him. Make sure that you do that. And when you pray, pray to a supernatural God because that's what he is. He is not bound by the things that we're bound by. I remember when I used to pray, I prayed in a natural way so I felt like I was giving God like reasonable parameters to work within. And when my wife prayed, she would always pray in a supernatural way with big prayers to a big God, recognizing God could do anything. So we would often pray together. And I would pray one way, and usually I'm the man, I'm the head. I, I pray first, and I pray like that. <laughs> and then she prays <laughs> like God is really God. <laughs> and then I would have to like, hmm, it took a while, but I got it. Now, now I pray in a big way and recognizing, hey, you could do a miraculous healing right now, God, or you could take this person through a process, or you could take this person home. Whichever you choose to do, you are God. Your will be done. Your will is perfect. As we read the account of the church, it says, as soon as he, meaning Peter, realized he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate and the servant to recognize <laughs> Peter's voice and because of her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. This is their response when she said, Peter's there. You're out of your mind. They are praying for Peter to be released from prison. They recognize there is nothing that they could do in their power so as we all do, they're petitioning God. And in the midst of petitioning God, not even like an individual where it's like one person's like, nah. No, all of us together, we're praying about something. And then when it's like, hey, it's happened, all of us say, nah, you're crazy. No. It says, you're out of your mind, they told her. 
But she kept insisting that it was true. And they, and they said, it's his angel. So we wouldn't want him to come in if it is, right? Peter, however, kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed, motioning to them with their hand to be silent. And that, you know, even that, right? Like, hey, there's still danger. Hey, um, let's not treat because God freed us from this situation as if we could li live reckless, you know, like, like when you befriend the big guy in school and now you're walking around, you know, taking people's lunch money, right? You know Jim's got my back, right? No. He told them, hey, be quiet. And then he tells them how the Lord brought him out of prison. And then he says, tell these things to James and the brothers. And he said, and he left and went away. A couple of things here. One, recognizing the power of prayer. Like they petition God. And, and I'm sure it wasn't like God send an angel, bring him out of prison and bring him here to our doorstep. But God can do above and beyond what we can ask or think. And that's why we got to pray big. The power of the body, of corporate prayer. We see in this instant that they were coming together. The Bible tells us when two or three gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. It matters that we are on the same page, that we are united, that we are praying together corporately for the things of the Lord. And then the power of testimony. These things took place. Peter witnessed it. He told them, this is what God did and how he did it. Go tell the other brothers. There is power in your testimony. All of this to say, as we look at the life of Herod and his uncle and his grandfather, those who were not willing to submit to proper authority, even though they were men in authority, we all have to be under authority. We all have to recognize you really don't control anything. We all have to understand authority, power comes from the Lord. Us recognizing that, us being in a place in our life where we recognize our need for God's power because we have limits, right? If you ask me right now, do 20 push-ups, oh, I could do 20, 20 do 30, you ask me to do 100, it's not happening. You got 100 in here? You used to, yeah. But once you got to 101, we all have limits to what we can actually do. 
And those limits even are placed on us by God. There is strength in recognizing our limitations and our weaknesses. The Bible tells us when Paul petitioned God three times, take this thorn from me. First off, he gave him that thorn for a reason, to keep him humble and relying on God. But he told him, no, I'm not, I'm not going to take that away. There's certain things in our life that God is going to allow to be there so we can keep coming to him and recognize our limitations. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. When we realize not only I have limits to my power, not only I have to use my power and authority and influence for the right thing, because if I'm fighting against God and modeling fighting against God, just like those three generations of Herods who won't relinquish power, who thought that they were in control, found out each one of them, and this one in a devastating way. All we have to do is look at how Jesus used his power when he came to earth. Jesus said, he called over his disciples and says, you know that rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those in high position act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. We are called to be servant leaders. And he says, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. He didn't just say that for y'all, for me. It says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That is God coming down from heaven into his creation to serve in the greatest capacity. That's power. That's power submitted to his father's will. We have to understand. We, as a church, possess power. As individual believers possess power? Is it submitted under the will of God? Are we walking in his will? And if we are, what we're using the power for will be displayed. And there will be no limits to how God is going to use you other than the limits that are placed there by God. No power can come against you other than what God allows in your life to continue to strengthen you, to continue to move you the way he would have you to go. 
God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. It's very important to understand that when that's being said, that he not only has ultimate power over all things, but he also is the source of all power. He sets limits on all his creation, but he himself is limitless. He has all strength, all wisdom, all love. He is holy and has the ability for his sovereign will to be performed. One of the things we cannot use our power for is to fight against that. And we do that in small ways and in big ways. And that's where we have to be mindful. God has made all things, everything we see, including us, we belong to him. So when we think about that and that he is the initiator of all that exists, the only uncaused entity in all creation, his power is unfathomable. We can only catch glimpses of it as we walk out this earth and look at the beauty of his creation and all the things that he made. And even with telescopes looking at the heavens and recognizing how powerful God is. And that he would put his spirit in his people. And he tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's where our power is. Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God said, for I gave you a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. This is the church. This is you and I, saints. And then in Chronicles 29, 11, it says, yours, O Lord, is greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. That's our God. That's our creator. That's our savior. That is our father. And he calls us heirs. And for those that believe, those that know him, he has given you the Holy Spirit. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us so that we can display his glory as glory reflectors and walk in power and walk in victory 
You can come up, worship team. Wow. So we see here such a clear example of earthly power. The limits that earthly power uses. What happens when you have power given by God and not use it for the will of God, for God's glory and what takes place? I'm talking about kings. None of us are kings. My, my name is Reginald. Reginald actually means royalty. I'm not a king. I'm a child of the king. That's where that power comes from. God hasn't given us that power for us to use it for selfish reasons, for selfish gain. In God's wisdom, the things that he puts in us, he will allow breath and strength and the power and the giftings that he's given us to satisfy our earthly needs. But that power that is in you is so much bigger than that. It is to be used for eternal things. So when we think about people wanting to grasp power, control, authority, influence, we see it all around us. And we even do that in smaller ways. It's time for us to, to think about that. Say, God, you have placed the Holy Spirit in me. I am your child. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Jesus walking the earth says, your will, not mine, Father. That's what we're to say. Jesus left saying, all authority, I've given it to you. Use it in power for his glory. Not something that we can turn off and turn on. Not in some manipulative way for our own gain. That's never going to produce anything. But when we use our God-given gifts and talents, when we are walking in step with the Spirit, God will use that power that he has placed in each and every one for things that have eternal value. And those very things are going to be so satisfying for you and I because it's what you were created to do. We so often go off on these other things that are cheap, that don't last, that don't matter, that we believe is going to satisfy, and it never does. It's a couple of things about power, right? It has to be used in its proper manner, but you also have to realize that you have it. You can't use what you don't know you possess. And then you got to know what you're going to use it for. So we're going to pray, and the first thing that I want us to pray about is, God, forgive me for when I've used it 
or tried to use it for things that were selfish. We're all guilty of that. But continue to empower me, to show me, to have such a love for you, to have such a recognition that anything that I possessed has been given by you and is to glorify you. And that he would continue to work that out in us day by day. Would you stand, saints, so we can pray? Father, we so thank you. We thank you for this word, these historical events that took place. And we recognize all around us how power and influence, might, are used in a destructive manner, Lord. And all authority we recognize comes from the source of all authority, and that is you, O oh God. We ask that we not be intoxicated with what the world views as power and influence and how they use it. We ask that you would forgive us for setting up our little kingdoms, sitting on our little thrones. Hurting the people around us. Not using the authority that you've given us in godliness and righteousness to serve, to give. That's what you did, oh God. You came to earth in all power, Lord. To save the lost sinner. Those in this room that know you. Have given their hearts to you, oh God. So we ask that you forgive us when we've been selfish. We pray, Lord that we would fall so in love with you, desiring your kingdom come, that you would break down the altars of this little kingdom we built, Lord. Put our hands to the plow. Be about your business, oh God. Things you've made us for. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the power of your living word. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your long-suffering, Lord. For your patience with your children, Lord. Let us walk out in victory, Lord. The victory you have already won for us. Let us walk out by the power of your word, Lord, speaking life, your words of truth, to a lost and dying world. Let us meditate on those words in our spirit man that we would be strengthened and built up. And that the flesh would grow weaker and weaker, Lord. As your Holy Spirit that resides in us, Lord, takes over. We pray for the one, Lord, that has heard the word of truth today 
recognize. They didn't even have power to save themselves, Lord. They've come looking to you, Lord, wanting to turn and repent. And they need power to get through the day. They need to be filled with your Holy Spirit and be born again because of your finished work on the cross. Their sins that you've taken on and paid the price for. And that you would exchange that for your righteousness, oh God. We thank you for that one, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done in each one of our hearts this day, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that the work that you started in us, that we could have a deep confidence that you are going to bring it to completion. You will not stop what you've started in us. You will bring it to completion, no matter how we feel, no matter what we're going through. Peter in prison between those soldiers might have thought it was over till you showed up, oh God. You're still working in us, Lord. And you're going to work in us to the day Christ Jesus we thank you for that. Help us to walk in that. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. God bless you, saints.